You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. We don't take a back seat academically to any group of people. This is history. It happened. Mostly what happens in today's environment is they pick up a portion of the Bible, they see a miracle in it, they flip on their little modern bias and they say, well, the ancients believed in miracles we no longer do. Can't be historical, can't be accurate, can't be reliable. That is not careful investigation. That is bias. If there is a God in heaven, and there is, then miracles are not only possible, but should be expected. It would be really easy to slide on past what Pastor Tom says today, but don't make that mistake. He said if God created the universe, and he did, then miracles are not only possible, but are to be expected. Do you expect miracles? Do you expect God to reach into human history and do impossible things? Our whole faith is based on God reaching into human history. Come along today to learn how God created the church by reaching into human history and doing the impossible through miracles. Now here's Pastor Tom in the book of Luke chapter 1 as he continues his message, A Historic Christian Faith. You may have heard of Josephus, the Jewish historian. He dedicated his Jewish antiquities to a patron named Epaphroditus. But the work was not intended just for him. It was aimed more broadly. So too with Luke. Luke was really writing this for anybody who was interested in the facts concerning the historic rise of the Christian faith. It was written for people like us and people that you're going to go out and talk to that have questions about Christianity. It is a tool. It's an evangelism tool. It builds your faith. It helps you to understand history, but it's an evangelism tool that you can use. Well, let's, let's read and find out what did happen to the early Christians. It's a tool we can all use when we talk to people who have genuine questions. In uh, Luke and in Acts, we see that Luke set out to write these two works with the motive that he would provide for the readers assurance. That was really what he wanted. He wanted all of his readers to have confidence about the life of Christ and what happened and confidence about the life of the church and what happened. He wanted them to have that kind of certainty. Would you turn for a moment with me back to the Gospel of Luke? I want you to see how this begins. Gospel of Luke chapter 1. You can see that motive when you realize these two books are tied together. Then you understand this also is true of Acts. But turn to Luke chapter 1. The very beginning. And you see there, he starts this way. He says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, verse 3, it seemed fitting for me. By the way, the work of the Holy Spirit is in that statement, right? As he was figuring out, what does God want me to do? The work of the Holy Spirit was in that. It seemed fitting for me as well. Now look at his next statement. Having investigated everything carefully. That is a Greek adverb, akrobos. We get our word accurately from it, okay? Carefully. From the beginning, to write it out for you. And here is... Luke's Greek background, the only Gentile writer of the New Testament, his Greek way of thinking where he liked everything chronological, for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know 
the exact truth about the things you have been taught. Theophilus had been exposed to some of this. He had been taught. Some even suggest that he was an official who was a baptism candidate, baptismal candidate. Know the truth. Have assurance about the truth. Come to a safe conclusion about this history. It's real. Don't doubt it. Naysayers be gone. Pick up the book and read. That same careful research that went into the facts concerning the life of Jesus in the first volume have been invested in Luke's recounting of the start of the church in the second volume. Dr. Hebert, in his introduction to the New Testament, writes, With the rapid spread and growth of the Christian church, there developed a definite need for an authoritative account of its origin and history. New converts needed and desired authoritative information concerning the nature of the movement that they had joined, the activities of its leaders and their experience in the furtherance of the gospel. Luke intends to give his readers a coherent account of the historical origin and early development of the church of Jesus Christ. He desired that others, too, should be informed and gripped with assurance concerning the wonderful message of the gospel of Christ. We don't take a back seat academically to any group of people. This is history. It happened. Mostly what happens in today's environment is they pick up portion of the Bible, they see a miracle in it, they flip on their little modern bias and they say, well, the ancients believed in miracles we no longer do. Can't be historical, can't be accurate, can't be reliable. That is not careful investigation. That is bias. If there is a God in heaven, and there is, then miracles are not only possible but should be expected, right? I mean, this universe is here because there is a God. There is no other explanation. You either have nothing creating everything or you have God creating everything. That's it. So I'll take the God created everything as a much more logical option to how everything got here. Just start with that. There is a God. If there is a God, there are miracles. No problem with miracles. Why? Because there's a God. There's a God, there's miracles. If the Bible says there's a miracles, that's because there's a God and that's because there's a universe. It all makes sense. Put it together. Now, we should point out that Luke was not attempting to write everything about the start of the church. He wasn't going to write everything about what every apostle did. Have you ever been curious about that? You're like, what happened to Philip? Yeah. Did Thomas really make it to India? And you have these questions. What about that other guy? What was his name? Bartholomew. And you want to know, well, where did, how come we don't know anything about them? Well, Luke didn't write about them. And this is the only book that we have about the early church, so we don't know what happened to them. I mean, we could dig into history and and those kinds of things, but it's not going to be quite as solid as this accurate recounting of it. Much of the spread of Christianity in certain regions of the world are not even recorded in Acts. Every author, when they sit down to write, has to choose the parameters. You can't write about everything in the universe. You've got to decide what you're going to write about, and so Luke did, under the influence of the Holy Spirit. As the story unfolds throughout Acts... Luke chose, listen, Luke chose primarily to follow the life of two apostles. First, the apostle Peter, and second, the apostle Paul. Peter and Paul. That's easy. And he recounts how the gospel spread mainly, not exclusively, around those two. From its starting point in Jerusalem, the church was not born in Rome, a lot of people say I thought the church got started in Rome. church got started in Jerusalem. It spread from Jerusalem to what? 
Rome. And that's the story of Acts. In fact, I have a commentary. It's called, you know, the story from Jerusalem to Rome. And that's what it is. You start in Jerusalem in the very first chapter, and then you end up in Rome in the last chapter. And that's the story of the book of Acts. But the gospel spread elsewhere in the first century and into the second century. But nothing in the book of Acts is written about the spread of the gospel to northern Africa, for example, though it did. And all of northern Africa quickly became Christian. And then Christianity penetrated down the Nile River, deep into Africa, across the desert, into inner Africa. Not much is written about the spread of Christianity to the east, but it did. It reached through Persia. It may have gone to India. certainly did at some point in time, but how early, we're not quite sure. Uh, there's, a, there's a fairly passionate tradition in India that Thomas did make it all the way there. There are even indications that it made it in the first couple of centuries, or maybe by the third century, to China and to Japan that early on. Nor does it tell us in the book of Acts about the spread of the gospel northeast to uh, my old homeland, Armenia and uh, Russia. Though there are converts from close to those regions that are mentioned in the book of Acts, it doesn't track the spread there. Nevertheless, as Dr. Hebert puts it, what Luke did record serves to give an admirable picture of the supernatural origin and expansion of Christianity under the empowerment and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. There are scholars that love to debate what were the historical sources that Luke used. Everybody gets into that question. Well, what sources did he use and how accurate were those sources? And they go on and on and on. The problem is they're never going to know because we just don't know what are the sources that he used. We do know that Luke had a penchant for consulting direct eyewitnesses, not secondary sources. He even says so in Luke 1 as we read. Later, as we read in the book of Acts... It becomes very evident that Luke himself traveled with Paul on at least some of his journeys. And you see the change in the pronouns from they to us or something like that. Luke is right there traveling along with him and recording and keeping a diary and telling us what he saw. So Paul was a source of information for the book of Acts. Luke himself was a source of information for the book of Acts. Paul had other traveling partners that Luke undoubtedly met Timothy, Silas, Titus. You can go on and on with a number of those guys. Apollos, they would have furnished more direction. Hey, I just came from such and such, and this was going on there. Luke would write that down. He would document that. Luke traveled with Paul. As he traveled with Paul, he would meet other people, and that would give him even more opportunities in order to investigate things clearly, as he said. He even went to Jerusalem. He went to Caesarea. And there he would have been able to speak with Peter. He would have been able to meet Peter and talk with Peter, no doubt another source. Yes, he would have been able to meet Mary, the mother of Jesus, and document what happened in those early chapters in the book of Luke that nobody else writes about because it really looks like it comes from Mary, the mother of Jesus, those early speeches and and words that are mentioned in uh, Luke chapter 1. He would have also had an opportunity to interview the Lord's brothers, his earthly brothers, James and Jude and other other leaders. But Luke, we have to admit, was intensely interested, particularly with Paul. He was a traveling companion of Paul. He stuck close to Paul. When Paul was in prison, beyond the ending of the book of Acts, he got released, actually, we believe, and he was released and made it to Spain, and then he wrote First and Second Timothy and Titus, and then he was 
re-imprisoned in Rome a couple of years later or, or so. When he was in prison in Rome for the second time and the last time, when he was literally about to be beheaded, Paul made this telling admission in his last letter, in the last chapter of that letter. He wrote 2 Timothy 4, 10 and 11, Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. This is a man who loved the Apostle Paul, and he stuck close to this man, probably writing away, documenting everything, being careful with it, right up until the very end. That tells me a lot about Luke. He got up close and personal. So Acts was not written simply for Theophilus, oh no, but for the whole church. And it was written for several purposes. I'm going to give these to you here at the end. Purpose number one we already covered. It gave believers a strong understanding of their historic faith. Purpose number two, it provided a strong defense of Christianity to Roman society. You have to remember that Christianity was very insignificant at first. It had no political power at all. It was often maligned by the Jews who were entrenched in various locations and cities, and they'd been there for centuries, and they'd built up much wealth, and they had influence with the populace, and Christianity comes in. It was usually the lower class and the slaves that embraced Christianity. And so the Jews picked on the Christians. It's just that simple. And they maligned the Christians to the Romans. But the story that unfolds in the book of Acts documents that the Christians were actually excellent citizens. They weren't doing anything wrong at all. They didn't wrong Rome. Rome didn't have to worry about any political movement with the Christians. They were just hated by the Jews, and it was the Jews that were stirring up the problems in each town, not the Christians. And it documents that as you read through. Dr. Gromaki puts a note about this. He says, after Paul had been arrested in Jerusalem for an alleged violation of temple worship, he asked that his case be heard by Caesar himself. He had this right. Apparently, the Roman government did not find anything politically offensive in Paul because they did not forbid him to preach. The Jews, not Paul, should have been on trial for political disturbances, end quote. Well, clearly, Luke wanted to present Christianity in a positive light to Roman officials and to Roman society. For those living in Roman and Greek society, they were embracing Christianity in droves, at least in the lower classes, while the Jews were repeatedly, town after town after town, they were rejecting a crucified Messiah. Purpose number three, Acts documents the missionary work of the apostles. Please notice the last part of verse 2 back in Acts. Jesus chose historical leaders for his church. And then Jesus gave orders to those leaders, orders to the apostles. Orders literally translates a word that means commandments. He commanded them. What Theophilus and all the readers of Acts were to learn is that the apostles were key to the work of Jesus Christ in that early Christian church. Notice again in verse 2, that before Jesus was taken up, it was Jesus' burden to give one final charge to them, and he gave it to his apostles, and he told them, stay in Jerusalem, don't move. And that will become important later. 
The apostles were hand-selected by Jesus Christ. You can read about that back in Luke 6.13. It says he called all of his disciples together, and here all these people have been listening to his teachings, and he went and he hand-selected 12 of them to be his own apostles. They were key. The apostles were key to Jesus' purpose in establishing the church. They were the ones that Jesus said, I choose you. And you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. They were his leadership for his church. He especially spent time with them. He trained them. He equipped them. And he put this burden on them. He commissioned them. And then he commanded them what to do. And then Jesus left. All of Christianity, the whole thing, would run through those 12 men. Isn't that amazing? The book of Acts is largely a story about the apostles and their journeys and their missionary work. Indeed, Luke's focus on the apostles dovetails into a fourth purpose for the book of Acts, and that is to document the spread of the Word of God and the numerical growth of the church. Numerous statements punctuate the narrative all throughout Acts. They showcase this gigantic explosion of growth of the church and its spread. In Acts chapter 2, very early on in the church's existence, it says in verse 47, the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. That doesn't mean we're bad if people aren't getting saved here every day. It just means this was a very powerful and a special time, and the Lord was adding to their number and saving people every single day. That shows a rapid growth. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 14, it says, All the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. And you see Luke's concern that everyone sees the growth of Christianity numerically. In Acts chapter 9 verse 31, So the church throughout all of Judea and Galilee and Samaria continued to increase. It's talking about their growth in numbers. And this goes on and on throughout the book of Acts. This missionary purpose in writing the book of Acts is meant to spur on our commitment to the work of the gospel. You and I are supposed to get that from this book. You and I are supposed to read this. It it, it might not tell you how to handle your anger this morning. It may not tell you how to handle your anxiety, although I think that there are some practical lessons like that that we'll glean as we go along in this book. But what you and I are supposed to see here is that the church of Jesus Christ is here for a purpose. It's a very clear purpose. It's a very important purpose. That's why we're down here. That's why we have to work together. That's who we are. We're not to do our own thing. We're not to be sidetracked by the political purposes in the world. This is who we are. This is what we are to do. In fact, if you look at verse 8, turn back to Acts 1 and look at verse 8, you kind of see an outline to the entire book of Acts, and you see where Luke is going with this whole thing. This verse comes to the fore, I think, in providing the overall outline to the book of Acts, where he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's Acts chapter 2. You will be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, and you see that in the early chapters, in all, in all Judea and Samaria, and you see that in some of the middle chapters, and even to the remotest part of the earth, and you see that from chapter 13 or so on. That is probably why Luke ends his story with the gospel arriving at Rome but doesn't tell us what happened to Paul. 
By the end of Acts, the gospel has spread. The gospel has increased. It's now come to the most powerful and influential Gentile city in the world, probably that the world had ever even seen up to that point in time. Meanwhile, the gospel had been virtually stamped out through persecution where it was born in Jerusalem. Starts in Jerusalem, but by the end of Acts, there's hardly anything left at all in Jerusalem. And the growth of the gospel is exploding in Rome. What does that say? From Jerusalem to Rome, from the Jews to the Gentiles. Most of us here are Gentiles. And that's what's happened with the gospel. As it has exploded in the nations and people have come to believe it, and such a small fraction of Jews today believe in their own Messiah. That ending point points us in the direction in which the gospel would continue if there was an Acts chapter 29 and 30. Where was it going? What was happening with it? Well, that just folds out of divine history into church history written by other church fathers, and we know That gospel is 2,000 years removed from us, and it's 5,000 miles removed from Rome and 6,000 miles removed from Jerusalem. But still, it's the same historic gospel that went out into the world. It hasn't changed. The passage of time doesn't change any of that. None of the facts have changed. Honestly, the story of the church is such a compelling story and such an exciting thought You and I are part of that ongoing history, and we can take that true and historical message to the skeptics, the people who scorn Christianity and say it's just a religion, it's just an ancient book, it's just that they don't know what they're talking about. You do. Study, learn, grow in confidence, and may God increase our evangelism, increase this special moment in the church's history where we have a new facility we're going to be working on. We kind of know we're going to be embedded in this community. And we have an obligation to this community, whether it's Columbia, whether it's further out in Laurel, Montgomery County, Howard, Anne Arundel, Baltimore, Carroll County, wherever it is, Frederick County, to get that message out, to get good doctrine out. That is what we continue in a long line of faithful brethren, many of whom were just exactly like you and me. They had no special talents. They had no special degrees. They just said, Lord, use us. We're here. We believe and we're confident in it. And God will use you as well. Amen. Father in heaven, thank you for this book. Please, through your Holy Spirit and through our studies, teach us things that will help our church as a whole and even individually to help our purpose to be clear and straight for your own glory, Lord Jesus. We Pray this, knowing that we have such an ancient faith, an ancient faith. Lord, we know some faith started before Christianity, but Christianity is the fulfillment of Judaism, which goes back even back to Abraham and goes back even to Noah, long before the other religions started. The truth has been there from the beginning to Adam and Eve, and it's been passed on. And Enoch believed it, and Methuselah believed it, we think, And Noah certainly believed it in his sons. And Lord, it was there, uh, at least in that form, before Buddhism and before Hinduism and before Shintoism and Taoism and even the philosophers or Confucianism. And it's been here from the beginning. It's historic. It's true. There's a, a line and a thread from the very beginning. And we know you've been working with men and you've been encouraging men and women to stand for truth in every generation.
Father, this is our generation. You put us here. This is our time. It's your time to take us and mold us as weak vessels and use us, that we would dedicate our lives to the spread of the gospel as we stand firmly in this tradition of historic Christianity. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for using us, even after saving us and giving us a bright future. For your glory and the spread of the gospel, we have prayed. Amen. Luke wrote the book of Acts to give his readers confidence in the historical happenings of the early church. Today, Pastor Tom showed us how Luke used eyewitnesses and his own experience of traveling with Paul to write his account. It's a trustworthy account that can offer certainty, and while the book is addressed to Theophilus, it's written to the whole church, including you and I today. We're blessed to be able to share the good news of the gospel with our listeners through the ministry of Discover Hope. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus yet, or if you have more questions, we invite you to visit the What Does It Mean to Be a Christian page under the About Us at HopeBible.org. This will provide you with a concise description of why you need Jesus in your life and how you can be free from sin. We'd like to speak and pray with you too, so please give us a call at 443-200-HOPE. Again, that's 443 443- 200 hope next time pastor tom is going to show us that christianity is an ancient faith grounded in and fulfilling judaism while that gives us extraordinary comfort it can hinder people coming to god they may say it's outdated or that its time has passed but next time we'll see how christianity is god working in history we have an historic gospel an historic resurrection an historic descent of the holy spirit there's much more to learn from the book of acts so we hope you'll tune in next time If you'd like to listen again to today's teaching or share it with friends and family, you'll find it online at hopebible.org. Thanks for joining us on Discover Hope.